Hello again, everyone, and welcome to our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast, Octopulse. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner with Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin up here in the press box at Little Caesars Arena before the Red Wings Los Angeles Kings game on Sunday night. And later we'll hear from LA Kings president Luke Robitaille about his Stanley Cup championship season in Detroit back in 2002. But first, Ted, the Wings after 12 straight losses, they've won a couple games now. Hey, Mark, it seems like we, we haven't done these in a while. The only consistency, though, has been these guys continually losing there for a while. Boy, oh boy. Um, they've looked much better much in these better, last yeah. couple games. I mean, definitely there's a semblance of a defensive structure. And but, you know, Last night, Jonathan Bernier really stood on his head. I mean, he was fantastic. Earned another victory in a place that used to be a house of horrors for them. They never won in Montreal, and here at Lowood Bold, they won both games out in Montreal this year. You know what else, Mark? The addition, the last couple of games of Anthony Mantha and Andreas Antonisci, both coming back from injuries. It does broaden and deepen the lineup. I mean, you're the, Jeff can play. Jeff Blashill can play four forward lines, roll four lines. Got a little bit of a semblance on offense and defense on each of the four lines. It is what it is. I mean, it's not gonna—they're not gonna win the Stanley Cup, but sure, it does sure. make them a little better club at least right now with everybody healthy. And they're getting some decent goaltending. So I mean, we've seen the results the last couple of nights—a couple of well, hard-earned, good hard-earned victories. You mentioned Athanasiu and Mantha. One pleasant surprise has been Robbie Fabry, who we'll hear from now. He has nearly a point per game, 15 points, 17 games. He's minus 11. In his last home game, Fabry talked about rounding out his game and getting under the skin of the other team. You know, I felt like they're taking some shots at guys, and you know, we, we got to give it back as well. And you know, especially in our building. So, um, you know, I'm not the biggest guy, but you know, I got a little temper to me. <laughs> How much is uh, bringing the grit or a little sandpaper a part of your game as well as the offensive side, Robbie? Um, yeah, I'm competitive. Um, you know, I play tenacious, and you know, that's when I'm at my best. And you know, when when I'm not, um, you know, I feel like I'm not as into the game. So you know, sometimes getting you know a few hits or in a little scrum like that, you know, just you know gets you in the game. So Ted, how about Fabry and Zadina? You mentioned Athanasiu. The offense is beginning to come around a little. They're still last in the league, 2.2 right. goals per game. They have nobody in the top 50 scores. Tyler Bertuzzi is 51st, and he has only 26 points in 34 games. I do like the addition of Fabry, though. There's no question about it. I mean, it's early, too early to tell, but that Fabry for Jacob Delarose trade certainly looks like a plus for the Red Wings. Uh, this is a guy that never, you know, he couldn't crack the St. Louis top nine. He was basically a fourth-line player when the Wings got him, but you see why this kid was a first-round draft pick. I mean, there's definitely some hockey instincts there. He knows where to be, he knows how to get the puck to players. He's been a nice producer here, he really has. Uh, you, could, you definitely have to say that they've won that trade and he's been a consistent player for them since they got him last month. Just quickly looking back at the losing streak, some of the low points here at Little Caesars Arena, the 6-0 loss against the Maple Leafs, allowing more than 50 shots. Were there any other Maybe not low lights, and you said that... Oh, there were some low lights, there Mark. Low lights. There were some low lights. I'm looking at it right now. The New Jersey game, they you know, basically got outplayed there. Columbus, they hung in there. There weren't... I mean, 
they were clearly the second best team on the ice for most of those 12 games. And the injuries have killed them, let's face it. I mean, they don't have the depth to overcome losing an Anthony Mantha and some of the veteran defenses. As much as people, social media loves to rag on the likes of Jonathan Erickson, Trevor Daly, uh, Mike Green, they still, they still, I mean, the veteran leadership that they provide. Sure. We've seen yeah. the last couple of games, Trevor Daly's played well. I mean, it does make them better defensively. It, it was a rough stretch. It was well or they, they wore the 12 losses, but maybe from here on in, if they stay a little healthy, you know, hopefully we, for these, for the fans' sake at least, there won't be these double-digit streak losses. I don't think there will be, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Ted, during the losing streak, you listed top 10 prospects in the paper with Alexis Lafreniere of Ramuski and Quinton Byfield of Sudbury ranked at the top. Now, right now, Steve Eiserman only has eight picks in seven rounds. He traded a fourth rounder for Adam Ernie. He has an extra second round pick for Nick Jensen and an extra third round pick for Gustav Nyquist. So you've talked about players that the Red Wings might trade before the deadline on February 24th. We're still a while away, oh, yeah, but we're still a long way can away. you see Steve Eisman trying to get some more draft picks? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Trevor Daly's gonna be available. Mike Green's gonna be available. He should be able to at least get a conditional draft pick, I would sure. think. I mean, if, I mean, those two would provide a decent veteran insurance for a contender, but they have to stay healthy. And that's been a, with Trevor Daly, that's been a issue for sure. Jimmy Howard, maybe if you, you know, if somebody needs a, I guess, I guess you can, there's some teams out there, I think, that are sure. playoff contention that could use a backup like Jimmy. We'll see. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but I think there's a chance there for a few more draft picks. Okay, we'll come back with overtime in a few minutes, but coming up next, we'll hear from Luke Robitaille. Okay, joining us now is Luke Robitaille, the president of the Los Angeles Kings and former Stanley Cup champion with the Detroit Red Wings. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Ah, thank you. Good to be there. What do you remember most about the year you won the Stanley Cup, specifically June 13th, a Thursday night, game five against Carolina? You're leading the series 3-1, Luke. You won the game 3-1. What do you remember about that evening? For me, it was like the excitement of like going in and having an opportunity to win my first Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Brandon Shannon reminds me, uh, we got on the ice, I think there was maybe a minute and a half left. And I went out there and I spent so much energy for about 25 or 30 seconds. We kind of got stuck on the ice and I was trying to come back so fast to the bench and Brandon <laughs> Shannon's literally almost laughing because, you know, you, you, we were only up 2-1, and Shannon jumped on the ice and scored with the empty net, and that was, like, the greatest feeling in the world. But to this day, it still reminds me how funny it was. that I think I topic three times or two times going back to the bench. I was so excited. But uh, it was certainly uh, – I don't know what I remember the most, but certainly lifting a cup for the first time was one of the most incredible feelings in my life. Absolutely. You know, in Scotty Bowman's new book written by Ken Dryden, Scotty said he was so nervous uh, and he was so hoping that the first time 
Red Wings who might win a cup. Dominic Hoshik and yourself might win. Scotty said he tried to stay in his routine as the coach. How about you? Because there was a lot of talk that day, obviously. The cup, you know, was in the building. Uh, and Scotty didn't want to go back to Carolina for game six. And then you never know what happens if there's a game seven. I was trying to stick to my routine. I was, uh, you know, same as, you know, it was such a, an experienced team. Uh, Stevie was such a great leader. Uh, guys like Nick Lindstrom and Chris Chelios, they had done it before. Shani, Chris Draper, and uh, they were going about their routine th throughout the entire playoff series, you know, the, the entire time. So for me, like I was watching them and making sure I was doing the same also. You know, so I learned a lot from these guys. Now, also in that book, uh, Scotty Bowman talked about Steve Eiserman really saving the franchise by changing his game before you got there. Uh, much like Scotty taught Jacques Lemaire, more of a two-way game, which, um, what were your thoughts on that, Luke? Well, it's kind of funny because we took it for granted that he became just this player that was just a good all-around player. But if you go back and watch his first eight, nine, ten years in the league, he was like such a dominant, you know, offensive player. And that's really all he did, you know. And then suddenly he was the strongest guy. You, you'd go in the corner and he, his stick was heavy. He was playing a heavy game even though he wasn't a, a big guy. He just, like, every battle in his own end became, like, something special, every face-off. But as a player, it's kind of just suddenly happened, you know, by 96 or so forth. Like it just happened, and we all knew he was a great player. We always talked about him. And then suddenly one day, it seemed like the whole league woke up and said, wait a minute, Steve Eisenman is one of the best 200-foot players in the league. You know, but it, it, it kind of happened. Like a, they won one cup and two cup. People started talking about his, uh, his way he would block shots. He would kill penalties and so forth. Mm -hmm. But it, it's amazing to me how the whole league suddenly just suddenly happened and then they were winning. So I give him all the credit because he took it upon himself to to do whatever it took to win. You know, in that game five, Luke, uh, Steve Eisman led all the Red Wings in ice time at 1944. Uh, you were on a line with Holmstrom and Larry Onoff. You guys were down at like 1126, 1042. You had 11.47 of ice time. You were on the ice for the first goal, plus one. My question to you is, though, you signed as a free agent, knowing that your role would be smaller on this team. And in Scotty's book, he said that you fit in. Was that your goal when you decided to join this team that right now has nine Hall of Famers? And if you add Datsuk and Zetterberg, that'll be like almost a dozen players, Luke. I didn't know what my role was going to be, but I knew – when I signed with Detroit, I was coming in to win. And so in my mind, I was going to do whatever it took to just win. And I didn't know where I was going to fit in, how I was going to fit in and so forth. Mm -hmm. I knew what I needed to bring to the team, but it was about winning. So when, you know, and it, and it taught me a lot about winning, like it takes – it really does take all 20 and 23 guys, even the guys that are not playing every night. They come in, like Steve Duchesne came in throughout the series and played some big games, some of the games he wouldn't play. And uh, for me, that you know, it was more like uh, I was coming to help the team win, 
knowingly that they already had their big guys and Nick Lidstrom, you know, like I said, Chelios, Stevie mm -hmm. you know, Brendan Shannon was there. Holly wasn't signed yet when I signed, but I knew I was coming in to help the team and I was going to be a part of the puzzle. Now it's interesting, uh, Luke, when, when you joined the team, you said right off the bat that the goal was to, to, to win the Stanley Cup right from training camp. You said that, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ken Holland talked about it. You even tell the story, if you don't mind retelling too, something, a little bit of insight into what Mike Illich set up there, that even when you came in one time and wanted, I think, protein shakes, it was always, yes, uh, Mr. Robotai, we'll get this for you. We're here to win the Cup. And you, I think you said that that, that was really a, an awakening for you, just how that mindset was was there from the 23 players, but almost everybody, right, Luke? Yeah, it, it was not almost everybody. It was everyone that worked for the Red Wings Yeah, were trying to help us win a cup. So, they, yeah, the message was, like, I remember that, yeah, it was actually a shake, and they were like, yeah, we'll get whatever you want. I was like, really? So, yeah, we just want to help you help us win a cup. That was a message from the trainer. And I, it kind of shocked me how – how focused everyone was and how everything that was talked about and said in the locker room and within the organization was to help us be the best we could be. And uh, I really took that to heart for me. I mean, I couldn't believe that the great message that was said everywhere internally as an organization. Have you taken some of those lessons to Los Angeles as, as president? I feel I learned the most playing for the Red Wings. Huh. Um, the likes of Scotty, Ken Holland, Mr. and Mrs. I, uh, like you, there were so many people that worked for the organization. They, I love the fact that they all spoke the same language. And that's something you're trying to do in Los Angeles, speaking the same language? Is it We've been trying to do it for yeah. 13 years now. <laughs> it worked uh, for a couple of years. It worked for – absolutely. <laughs> now, a couple more questions about um, Steve Eiserman and the knee injury. Uh, he won three cups in six years, but that last one, his knee was in such bad shape, wasn't it, that he had difficulty, like, going up the stairs into the airplane, day-to-day, -day, the rehab. So what was that like, seeing the captain – trying to get prepared for each game well it was like you, you kind of really saw his courage i mean it was really hard for him to walk even to get to the locker room from his car sometimes on the road it was hard he, he mostly never really was able to practice he was able to do some of the morning skates if i recall i'm just going by memory i do recall like before the game they would have to numb him and then they would tape his knee and he i think he put a brace and it was really hard for him to start to warm up because the pain you could see was there. And then suddenly it seemed to kick in and be better. And then by the end of warm up, he was skating better. But I remember too, when he would fall down, he'd struggle to get up because he was taped so tightly. And I think the brace was so tight. And I think I'm sure his knee was bothering him that he would never say it though. But, mm -hmm. and then he would have to lean on his stick to get up every time he fell down. We, we just couldn't believe that. The amount of courage it took him to play every one of those games and be one of the highest minute, uh, you know, player on our team. We uh, talked to Tim Taylor the other day, a member of the uh, Stanley Cup Championship team, and now a pro scout with the St. Louis Blues. And Luke, uh, Tim Taylor said that Steve Eisman did a lot of work as well behind the scenes and trying to bring out the best in everyone, which I'm sure a lot of captains try and do. But I wonder what your thoughts are about Steve Eisman and his leadership at that time, and 
things that maybe he learned that he took to Tampa Bay and now here in Detroit? I mean, Stevie, like, you know, the, the Red Wing was his team. He took it to heart. Like, a, you know, I'll give you an example. When I got to town the first time, uh, the first call I, I got was from him, and he was in town and took my wife and I to dinner. You know, it was in the middle of the summer. I'm sure everyone is, you know, is always busy. Just talk about a team welcoming, welcoming us. Uh, then after that, it's just like he would make sure, you know, everybody was taken care of. He was not the guy that was always rah-rah in the room. When he spoke, everyone listened. And, uh, but he made sure one-on-one, -on -one, you know, everybody was taken care of. He, was, he always wanted to make sure, like, uh, you could hear him talk to the trainers say, make sure, you know, this kid that we just called up is taken care of. Like, he, you know, he was one of those guys that he did it mm -hmm. just by example and the way he treated people. When you were down to nothing in the first round of Vancouver, you left Joe Louis Arena to Vancouver. And it's been widely reported that Steve talked to the team. He didn't probably have to say much. But do you recall what was needed to be said at that point? Because the team then went on to, to beat Vancouver, St. Louis, Colorado, and then Carolina in the final. I, I recall, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm word for word, but basically his message is, hey, we're a good team. We don't have to win two games tomorrow. We just got to win, you know, the game mm -hmm. one shift at a time. And he said, we're a good team and we're going to do it. And we'll win, we'll win tomorrow. We'll win the next one and we'll come out of it and we'll go home. And his message was, we're not trying to win the first round. We're here to win the cup. So the next day we went and played a very solid game. We got lucky on a goal from the red line by Nick Lidstrom and, Next game, we played another solid game. We won, and we never looked back. So calm the way he said yeah. it, and yeah. you believed him. Did you believe him? Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew we were going to come out and just play our game. Yeah. Now, wrapping up, Luke, with a couple questions about the teams you're with now. The Kings and Wings are both in the you know bottom third of the standings. The Wings are at the very bottom now, uh, winless when we record this on a Wednesday night, a 12-game winless streak. Um, what are your thoughts about what Steve Eisenman might be going through right now? Because it's difficult, isn't it, when you come out of successful runs for Stanley Cups. The Wings won three in six years. The Kings have won a couple Cups as well. It must be difficult, though, when you guys are used to such, uh, such success. Yeah, it, it's difficult until you look at what you got. Like... Uh, People, you know, I would say, you know, we played the Red Wings a few weeks ago, and they got a great, a lot of great young guys flying on the ice. I know it's not working out right now, right? But, you know, don't forget in Detroit, it took a, it took. I think Jimmy Dettolano did in that Russian five movie. He, he thought it was going <laughs> to take eight years to win the cup. It took him fifteen. Took him fifteen. So, yeah, exactly. Really, see, it was built through the draft, and the organization was built the right way. And there's one thing you can be sure that Stevie's going to build it the right way. I mean, we we looked at the draft, you know, what they did, and they, they picked so many great players in this last draft that, you know, a few years from now, it almost feels like his defense is going to be all figured out. You know, that kid you guys picked in the first round, he's a very special player, and it just takes time. We're in a cap era. You just can't go and sign a bunch of people because then you, you jump yourself by. Like, we're – 
us, Chicago, like the Red Wings won three Stanley Cups. At some point, there was going to be a downfall. We won two. You know, Chicago won three. Actually, the Red Wings won four Stanley Cups, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it, at some point, you're going to have a downfall. It's amazing that the Red Wings, it took 25 years, you know. But, it, you know, it's just, you, know, you guys are on our way just like we are in Chicago. It just takes a little bit of time. And it's not fun, but there's enough good – good players right now in Detroit that I know they're on their way. And finally, Luke, the uh, Board of Governors meeting, the Code of Conduct and the NHL came up with a four-point plan. Do you have any general thoughts about what's happening right now in the NHL uh, trying to deal with some of these issues, which clearly the racial abuse and physical abuse, those seem to be very clear as far as Commissioner Gary Bettman is concerned about rules and regulations, but is it difficult otherwise setting standards about what behavior is allowed and isn't? It's it's about doing the right things and amount of respect. I mean, you know, a lot of people, things have happened in life. Sometimes you get emotional. There, there are some things like, like when you talk about, like whether it's, uh, you know, physical abuse or, 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 or racial like a comment that there's no room anywhere in the world there's never been any room for that mm -hmm. and uh, but as far as the rest i mean you know there is as long as the coach and the management and all of us should always be aware of there, there's a line that you can't cross like everyone wants to win but you you gotta know you gotta know the line and, and you gotta understand and and you know to a certain point you know like a lot of us when we played the game you know i had a lot of coaches get mad and and yelling that's that's always going to happen but if you treat people good and you and you communicate with them after and so forth you know most of the time you're okay with it it's just you just can't cross the line i, I don't think you were ever ever able to cross the line just a lot of mm -hmm. people did and people didn't talk about it back then luke thanks for your time by the way today and best of luck with the kings thanks again luke all right thank you Okay, that was Luke Robitaille, and Ted, we were just talking about those standards that Mike Illich set here, that everything was done with the Stanley Cup championship in mind, and I wonder how difficult it must be for Steve Eiserman now to set those standards. The team obviously is a long ways away, but... Right. It's two teams in similar rebuild, rebuilds, I guess you could say. I mean, these are two of the weaker teams in the NHL right now. It just shows you how far, how difficult it is to get back on top, and I was talking about it with somebody recently. I mean, fans want these rebuilds. Well, we got them right there and right here this season, and it's not pretty. I mean, it takes a while. You, you have to draft the right players. It could be a painstaking process. And the Red Wings and the Kings are both go undergoing that. I mean, Iserman and Robitaille, they've played for state Stanley Cup contenders, obviously, but I tell you, I mean, when you're constructing a team, I mean, it's not easy in the NHL with so much parity and so few impact players out there. It takes, it's a lot of work to produce that type of club that can contend every year. And finally, looking at the schedule ahead, a relatively light schedule through the Christmas holidays, only three games right. in the next 12 days. So Tuesday against Columbus, Saturday in Toronto, and back here Sunday against Arizona. What do you see in I think general they, well, for Obviously, I think they just want to get an upswing. I mean, if they can yeah. get a couple Ws here in the next week leading into the break, 
I mean, it would be a, such a relief, I think, for their mindset. Like we've often said in this podcast here this today, that 12-game losing streak, I think that took a lot out of them, a lot of everybody in the organization. I think if they can produce a couple of wins here, I think it'd make everybody feel good getting into, like, what was it? It's a five-day break, I think. So yeah. it's a good chance to reset and recharge at that point. Okay, that'll just about do it for this episode of Octopulse. Thanks for listening, everyone. And just a reminder, you can follow Ted on Twitter during these games at T. Colfin. You can also get our Red Wings newsletter and some extra coverage on our Octopulse Facebook page. We're also on Instagram, Instagram Stories Daily, Snapchat, and you can check out our Grand Rapids report along with video and photo galleries from each one of the games. And we'll see you again Sunday, Ted. See you then, Mark.